It's the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Richard, and I'm the children's minister, and usually my habitat on a Sunday morning is upstairs, but they let me loose today. I'm free. I have the privilege of sharing with you this morning, so thank you for allowing me to come and share with you um, from this amazing and fantastic passage. Uh, I should explain too that my, my work with the church is two days a week. I also work two days a week with Prison Fellowship, and um, I am a national program coordinator for a program called The Prisoner's Journey, and I'll explain that a little bit more um, as I go in, but... Um, this last couple of weeks, amazingly, I've been able to actually teach the program that I've been coordinating. So the Prisoner's Journey is an eight-week program, and it takes prisoners through the Gospel of Mark uh, and explains to them the Gospel, basically. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? And what does it mean for me? And over the last four weeks now, I've been going up to Shepparton, to uh, Durrangile Prison Farm and leading a session, a course, the course there. And last Wednesday, I led the session, the session at Karinga in um, near Lara, a prison near Barwon Prison. And during that session, it was session three, and in session three of the, the course, we talk about what is sin. And sin, we, we work out that sin is basically the root of all the problems in the world. And we also teach that sin comes from the heart, where Jesus talks about it's not what goes into you that makes you sinful, it makes it what comes out of you that makes you sinful. So it's a heart thing. During that session, as I was leading it, one of the inmates, we have lots of discussion time, and one of the inmates was discussing a lot of different things, but through it all I could hear him say, I'm sinful. If I die in my sinful state, what hope have I got? Do I have any hope? I sensed the real desperation in what he was asking. I reassured him. I said, yep, we have hope. And the next few weeks of the course, you will understand that hope. But I gave him a quick encouragement in terms of from the word that 
Jesus died to take that sin. And I said, hang in there. If you hang in there and keep going on with the course, you'll see that the next few weeks will explain how that, where that hope comes from. You don't find the hope in yourself. He needed that assurance, and I could sense that, he, that it was a real heart cry from him. He was a, a guy who had been around church quite a lot. And so he knew the ropes, but still struggled with that, that sense of hope and didn't have it. So where does this assurance come from? What gives us this confidence? Well, I reckon one of this passage today is something that really injects us with confidence and with hope. It's an amazing passage. It's a bookend to Romans 8 verse 1, really. You could almost say it's sort of like two, two bookends. No condemnation on one side, no separation on the other. It's fantastic. Paul was writing this letter to a group of Christians who knew that what suffering and challenging circumstances were like. It was written during the time of Nero and working a little bit of research, Nero had only just ascended to the throne. So they hadn't quite seen the full-blown cruelty that Nero was about to unleash, but they'd seen enough of it already. So they knew what mind-blowing cruelty there was um, awaiting them. At the time of this letter, he had just been appointed and it's like Paul was preparing them for the worst that was to come. So he chucks out these rhetorical questions designed not to get an answer. I mean, they answer themselves like, no-brainer, who could be against us? And it's kind of like he's throwing them back to God, throwing them back to his amazing love for, for us. This passage, really, when I was reading it, feels like Paul's really amped up. He's, wah, he's really building up to a massive climax. It's as if this passage were a symphony. This would be the climax. This would be the, the crescendo at the end. And his tone, when I was reading it, his tone reminds us a lot of Joshua and Caleb. I love telling kids that story. You know, Joshua and Caleb were one of the 12 spies that went in to spy the, uh, to Canaan out. And they all go in, they come back, and 10 of the guys go, oh, forget it, it's no good. We're never going to make it. They're too big. They're too strong. They're too powerful. They've got all these weapons, blah, 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 blah. And Joshua goes, you're kidding? I love that confidence. If you read it, it says... If God is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land that flows, as they say, with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. Just, just don't rebel against God and don't be afraid of these people. Why? We're going to have them for lunch. They have no protection. God is on our side. Don't be afraid of them. That's the message version, by the way. But I love that confidence and I love teaching that to kids. They, they can get that they're as good as dead. Don't worry about them. We've got God. Do you hear that attitude of confidence and trust? Paul's words here remind me so much of that. And I wonder if the Christians in Rome got that as well. So three things I want to look at. First, be confident in your salvation because it shows that God is on, knowing that it shows God is on your side. Secondly, suffering doesn't mean that God is against you. And third, in fact, nothing can separate you from God. Nothing. So first, be confident in your salvation because you, knowing that it demonstrates that God is on your side. God is on our side. Take heart, says Paul. What else can I say? He's just spent the first part of his letter outlining the gospel or the good news to the people of Rome. All humanity is hopelessly trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. 
This rescue is not going to be achieved by obeying laws and regulations or by doing Christian things and going to church. Rather, God's love and righteous character has moved him to rescue the world through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God did it. He took that initiative. He stepped in. He's aiming to create a whole new humanity, a new kingdom of people that people can relate to and relate with. Now, he says, okay, what do we say to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's like, come on, guys. God's on our side. Now, we might be tempted to say, as the Christians in Rome might say to Paul as well, well, it's all right for you to say that. You haven't walked in my shoes. Or you don't know what I'm facing right now. Or I've tried to get rid of the sin in my life and every time I fall flat. To that, Paul says, if God is for us, who or what can be against us? God is not against us. He's on our side. And Paul's almost defying us to answer, knowing we can't. And so throwing us back to God and what he's done. Who can beat God? We can't say anything that can do that. Especially when he put his own son on the line. Gave him up for us. What more could he do? Sometimes we might feel like God's not on our side. And it seems like Paul senses this. Sometimes we might be like, oh, I don't know, God, sometimes it feels like you're against me. And Paul says, guess what? He rams home the gospel once again. Verse 32 and 34 in your passage there. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who, is, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. It's kind of like you're saying, okay, you got an objection? Look at Jesus. Look at the cross. On Friday, I facilitated session four of the TPJ, the um, Prisoner's Journey Program in Shepparton. So last, on Wednesday, session three. And session four is uh, the fact that we looked at what sin was. Now session four is God hates sin. He's angry about sin. And what is he going to do about it? He took, he sent Jesus to take that punishment. He loves us so much that he willingly allowed Jesus to suffer and die and take the punishment that we deserved so that sin can be dealt with once and for all. We said, look, God can't just ignore sin. What would you think of God if God said, oh, look, I hate sin, but you know, that little white lie there or that little bit of nastiness, I'll just forget about that. We said to the guys in the prison, said, well, yeah, we wouldn't trust God if, if we did that. We couldn't trust him if he was like that. Or what about if God said, oh, look, you're a good person. You know, all those sins, I'll just sweep them under the carpet and forget about them. Again, we wouldn't trust God. We, we, he, he wouldn't be perfect. God is perfect and he demands punishment. And I'll tell you what, I had a profound moment myself as I was leading that. We read the passage and it really hit me again. Read the passage from verse um, 33 in Matthew 15. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama samachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There's a bit of a dead quiet in the group. One of our co-facilitators was in tears and one of the inmates was in tears as we realised the full impact. And it hit me as we realised not only did Jesus die an excruciating death, 
but he suffered the full force of God's anger for, against sin. He took that, all that anger, and it was epitomized, that was symbolized in the darkness. And then he also suffered that separation, that horror of God not being with him when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, quite a few of the guys got the fact, and I, including myself, that it really, what Jesus really did for us. And this is what Paul's saying here. What more can I say? Jesus did that. Christ died for us. It hit me afresh. Sometimes I think it's good to revisit those, those foundational teachings and to shake us up a little bit. It shook me up. And I came away with a huge impact and the guys in the, in the room as well. Can't wait till next week when we get to talk about Jesus rising again. Paul says here, God made the ultimate sacrifice. He gave up his own son so that we, we could be made right. And then if he did that much, if he did that, isn't there anything else he would do? God is for us. When we get that, it makes no difference who is arrayed against us. God is for us and that's all we need. Sometimes our own conscience, our sinful nature accuses us and makes us doubt. It happens from time to time. We, deal with, we all deal with this. Remember, God is for us. Our own, even our own conscience cannot prevail. When in doubt, don't try and find the answer in yourself. When you're struggling with that doubt, look to the cross. Paul says, look to the cross. God did that for you and will graciously give us all things. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you will get all the material possessions you want. But it means God will give us all we need to be able to persevere, to keep walking that life. He'll give us all the need, resources we need to keep following him and to keep growing in our journey to be more Christ-like, especially when we struggle with opposition. What about you? Do you believe these things? Does this impact you? Ask yourself this question. Regularly embrace the confidence that it gives. If you have trouble believing in this, just look at what God has done and trust. God did this. Judas didn't put him on the cross. The Romans didn't put him on the cross. Pilate didn't put him on the cross. God did it. And he did it for you and for me. Paul goes on. Who will bring any charge against God's people? Or who is he that condemns? An old preacher once gave an illustration that I will never forget back in Perth days when we lived there. Imagine you're in a courtroom. And this really worked. I shared this with the prisoners. and They really relate to that because they've been in that situation. In a courtroom and God is the judge and he opens the book of life and uh, looks at your name and says, Oh dear, <sighs> Richard, 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 what have we got? Uh, the chief prosecutor is Satan. See, I told you. God has no choice but to pronounce a sentence of death. And just as he's about to do that, I said in the old days, they used to put a black cloth on their heads. Just as he's about to do that, Jesus jumps up in the courtroom and says, Stop! He's mine. He belongs to me. She's mine. My name is on her. I died for her. They belong to me. They have my mark on them. Great, says God. And he wipes the charges off and cleans them off. The page is clean. Welcome, he says, into my kingdom. I'll never forget that picture, that image that that, that, uh, that old minister preached at that time. Verse 34 goes on further to say that not only has Jesus claimed us as his own through his death and resurrection, but he's at the right hand of God continually interceding for us. 
So he died, he rose, he ascended, and now he's there speaking on our behalf. Nothing and no, no condemnation, nothing can condemn us. No one can charge us anymore. Walk in this knowledge as you go about your daily life in your workplace, in your family. Walk in this knowledge that nothing can condemn you. When life gets overwhelming, look at the cross and remember, no condemnation. We are free, set free from that sin, that, that feeling of condemnation. God is not against you and he provides, it, he provides proof of it by sacrificing his own son. Now let's look at the second point. Suffering does not mean God is against you. Suffering will still be around this side of eternity. We heard that last week. We're in this not yet time. We know and trust that we will be glorified, but not yet. So we, we suffer at the moment with all the, the problems of life. The Christians in Rome wouldn't have needed any reminding of that. And Paul is also well aware of just about every hardship and trial that he mentions in that passage because he pretty well went through all of them himself. He speaks from experience. The Christians, so today we still struggle with, this, with the trials and struggles of life. And these will continue until Jesus returns. Our life on this earth is imperfect and flawed. Paul knows this too. And so he says, don't think God is against you when these things happen, when bad things happen. Take heart. God is not against you, but he's for you. He's on your side. Sometimes we think that when we are Christians, bad things won't happen to us anymore. But bad things do happen to good people. And as if to sort of support that, Paul quotes from Psalm 44, where he says, For your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered for your sake. Something in that. We shouldn't, he should know. He endured most of it, of it all, all the hardships that he listed. We struggle with pain, with sickness and death. We're not immune from that ourselves. My mum has been blind since she was a young girl. And she coped with all the struggles that that brought growing up, including teasing from her sisters because she was blind in the dark and she couldn't see. My dad was her rock, her eyes, if you like. But he died of a heart attack at age 67. Suddenly, mum's whole world was completely rocked. What now? Yet she rose to the challenge, reinvented her life and will tell you that it's only by God's gracious love that she could do this. It forced her to throw, back, throw herself back more and more on God and trust her. Sometimes we're in the middle of struggles we can't see the end of. One of our family members at the moment is struggling with depression. He's a Christian. He loves God. Why is he struggling with depression? We don't know. All we can do is pray and trust God and look at the cross not look at the person to find the answer. Look at the cross. Look at Jesus, what he's done. Our struggles may be internal. Paul asks, who condemns or who brings a charge against us? Sometimes it's in our own minds and our consciences that try to do that. But Paul says, even then, change our thinking. God is the one who justifies. God is the one who makes right. Don't let your mind play games and accuse you of not being good enough. It will happen, I know. One of the um, facilitators on Friday, who was facilitating with me, one of my assistants, came up to me in tears, the one I was in tears, and she said, well, I, I realised that. She said, I don't deserve what Jesus did. I said, no, we don't. No one does. 
No one deserves what Jesus did for them. That's the love of God. That's the grace of God. Even when we didn't deserve it, he still loves us so much that he put his son through that to suffer that pain for us. Again, look to the cross and let it impact you. Instead, another way of looking at it, suffering can be embraced. Embraced is a way to grow and draw near to God. To be reminded that nothing can separate us from God's love and sustenance. Romans 5 talks about that. And uh, I talked about that last year sometime. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. So Paul talked about suffering having a purpose. And in Romans 8.28 he talks about suffering, God using every circumstance to his advantage and to his glory. We know God is for us. We can hold on to that. He will never, ever leave us. Suffering will be with us, and in some ways even more so as we follow God. And as we follow Him faithfully, we will come against all kinds of opposition. But your suffering doesn't mean that God has rejected you, or that there are other powers at work that are stronger than God. Rather, remember, all of life is under God's control, and His love for you can never be overcome. Remember, God can use even our suffering for His good. These times of hardship can help you grow. Rather than separating us from the love of God, suffering spurs us on and is sometimes a means to greater triumph. It's an opportunity for us to draw close to God. No, Paul says, in all these things, we are conquerors. No, we're more than conquerors. Literally, the words that he uses, they are hyper-conquerors, super-conquerors. One theologian made the comment that a super conqueror is a person that not only defeats, but makes his enemies become his helpers. They can't take us away from God. No way. In fact, they drive us to God. They make us stronger and grow us closer to God. Why? Because we know and believe that Jesus has conquered. In fact, more than conquered death and sin. He made the way open for us so that we can have a guaranteed future with God. We're no longer defeated by anything. Jesus has guaranteed our future. Who would try and take that away from us? Anything that try and takes us that away from us will fail. We know God is on our side and he will turn every situation around to help us grow closer to him. Through Jesus, we will conquer these struggles, challenges, persecutions, not in our own strength, but through Jesus, says Paul. Through Jesus who loves you and loves me. Because of Jesus, we have a guaranteed future. Jesus loved us and valued us so much that he willingly endured the cross for our sake. So suffering does not separate us from God or mean God is against us. But it can and it does drive us closer to God as we have to trust his word more. And some situations there is nothing, that's the only thing you can do to pray and trust God. Hold on to this. When you go through trials in your life, when you struggle, hold on to this. Look to Jesus. Look at the cross and remember that nothing can take you from God. And look at a situation that you're in and see how God can redeem that and use that. A few years ago, we heard some Iranian girls, a big long story, I won't get into it now, but they were imprisoned for their faith. What they used to do at night was in the dead of night, go and drop little New Testaments in people's letterboxes. And that's their way of evangelizing in Iran. They were caught, sent to prison. The conditions of the prison were shocking, infested with lice and dirty and smelly. 
So much so that uh, the guards wouldn't come into their cells or into their area. It was too, too dirty, which they didn't mind because they had then open opportunity to share the gospel with other prisoners. So what turned out to be a horrible situation, they used it as an opportunity to share and to share the gospel in that beautiful place, in that dirty place, but it turned it into a beautiful place. They were written, people used to write letters to them, encourage them, people like us in different countries. And because they were in prison, all their letters were vetted and they reckoned some guards became Christians because of the letters that people wrote to them because the guards had to open the letters and check them. And as the guards read the letters, they were touched by them. So amazing. God can use anything in any situation for his purposes. Now, my third point, in fact, nothing can separate you from God. This is the crescendo. No separation. He's building up to this. Can all this pain and suffering and misery separate us from Christ and his love? No. Paul then builds with this great statement. I love that statement. I am convinced that nothing can and nothing will be able to separate us from God's love. Nothing in this world and all beyond. He goes all out. He doesn't leave anything out. One someone I read said, he puts the whole waterfront out there. This is a climax, a huge finale, a passionate ending. Questions have been asked and proven unanswerable. Who can be against us? How will he not graciously give us all things? Who will condemn us? Who will bring a charge against us? Answer is no one. God is on our side. We have got this. The final huge question is, who can separate us from God's love? No one. He lists a whole range of things here. Who can get in the way for and separate us from God's calamities of life, cosmic and superhuman forces, time and space. He covers the whole of the ancient cosmology and leaves nothing out when he says anything else in all creation. All of these can't separate us from God's love because they're under his lordship, under God's created lordship, rule and Jesus Christ's lordship. Natural and supernatural forces will never, ever prevail. Why? Because they're under God's control anyway. No, says Paul, nothing in all creation, in all of reality, will get in the way of God's love for us. Nothing can drive a wedge between us and God. What a reassurance. What, what a, an exhilarating encouragement. When times of doubt and struggle come on, and they will, hold on to this. Grab on to this truth. God has promised this. We are conquerors, super conquerors. We will prevail. We have a guaranteed future with God. His love can never be taken away from us. Nobody can change that status. We can never be separated from God. We can turn adversity into an opportunity to draw closer to God. This is how the message version puts it, that last bit. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. I love that last bit. Jesus, our master, didn't just die for us, he embraced us. Think about that. Trust this as you walk through each day. 
Look to the cross is my constant refrain. Always look to the cross. I never fully understood. I, I knew it, but Friday morning last week, I came home once again. Jesus embraced us on the cross. He took that for me. Look to the cross and remember, Jesus said, you're mine. I died for you. So to sum up, what is our response? This is absolutely exhilarating. Paul's words here and in the whole chapter are so relevant, both then and now. Remember, God is on our side. He demonstrated that in giving up his own son, allowing him, in the words of the Message Bible, to embrace our condition and expose himself to the worst. God is embracing us and including us in his new humanity, and he graciously keeps sustaining us in our growth as followers of Christ. Suffering will always be there. It doesn't mean God is against us, but counterintuitively, it turns us to God. As a well-known theologian said, God's pledge is not that suffering will never afflict us, but God's pledge is that it will never separate us from his love. And nothing can ever get, the, get in the way or separate us from his love. We are super conquerors, hyper conquerors, we have, who have confidence in God. Again, the same theologian said, our confidence is not in our love for him, which is frail and fickle and faltering. But our confidence, confidence is in his love for us, which is steadfast and persevering. I love that last one. We don't have confidence in our love for God. We have confidence in his love for us. Amen. Shall we pray? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it brings. And we thank you for this massive passage that Paul wrote. We thank you for the encouragement, the exhilaration, and the comfort that it brings. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die. More than that, to suffer and take the full weight of your anger. And we thank you, Father, that he rose again and that he, he conquered death and that he now is in heaven interceding on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, that the love that he achieved for us can never be taken away and that because of Jesus, we can't be separated from you. Thank you, Lord. Help us, Lord, as we walk in our lives each day to focus on you, to look to the cross and remember each day in you what you've done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.